0: śrī chaitanya charitamrita jai. Jai. so reading from chaitanya charitamrita madhyādhīlīlā chapter 19 śrī upaśikṣā the teachings of chaitanya mahāprabhu to rupa gośwami at prayag tāśar śūmīra Ghat. here mahāprabhu says śuddha bhakte hoita hoy prema panna. Ātā eva bhaktira, kohiye lakshan. He says, Rūpa Goswami, that he wants to describe the symptoms of pure devotional service, of shuddha bhakti, a lakshan of shuddha bhakti, by which engaging in one develops prem. Thus far in his teaching to Rūpa Goswami Chaitanya Mahaprabhu has stressed the rarity, in a sense, of devotional service, began this teaching to Rupa Goswami by stating that he was going to speak about bhakti rasa, but he was going to do so in sutra form, in a condensed way, because there's so much to be said about this. It's an ocean, this bhakti rasa, and as an ocean is fathomless, so the bhakti ocean. And thus there's so much that could be said about it. Not enough could be said about it. We can never say enough about it. So he says, I'm going to speak in codes. I'm going to give you a bindu of the sindhu and drop the ocean of bhakti rasa. And the implication is relative to this chapter and what we've been hearing that being empowered as he has been by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, Rupa Goswami is charged with churning that drop from the ocean, that bindu from the sindhu of Bhakti rasa into an ocean of waves of literature, further insight about that which Mahaprabhu is speaking about in a concise way here to Rupa Goswami. And so, as he began to speak about the bhakti rasa, he began with the description of the living beings, the living entities, the badajiv, unlimited in number, expanded everywhere, in different material forms, through eighty-four lakhs of species, small in size, infinitesimal. Example of the Upanishads. Upanishad is quoted one ten thousandth the size of the tip of a hair. Means immeasurable, infinitesimal. The Lord is present as the Jiva in infinitesimal form. And Bhagavatam, Uddhava Gita, Mahabharata cited Among subtle things, I am the Jiva. So he began, as I said, by speaking about the jīva for the purpose of emphasizing the rarity of shuddhavakti. what a high ideal it was, because as he spoke about the nature of the jīva, how there are unlimited jīvas, spread out through 84 lakhs of species. They're all infinitesimal in size, whether they're in the body of a big brahma or an insignificant insect. Relative to their embodiment, he further classified them as being moving or unmoving, the implication being that we're going in a progression from unmoving to moving. Amongst the moving, he said, there are the wild people that aren't under the jurisdiction of the Veda. Then there are those that are rarer groups still under the jurisdiction of the Veda but only give lip service to the Veda. And then there's a group that actually follows the Veda. And amongst them, that small group, where you'll find one wise person who actually understands what the Veda is talking about. That it's not talking about ultimately material acquisition, but releasing oneself from this false sense of proprietorship and the endeavor for material acquisition, which is fruitless, which is like grave digging only. When we try to acquire materially, we just dig our own grave. So a wise person comes out from the graveyard. But amongst wise persons, one may be liberated. Amongst them, Sudhulava Prashantatma Mahamune, he quoted Bhagavatam, Narayana Parayana. One who is a devotee, whose life is given to Narayana, or to speak of a Krishna Parayana, very rare to find. So in this way he's speaking about Bhakti Rasa, but he shows us that the scope of Bhakti Rasa is broad. While we may speak about it in a specific sense, scope is broad. He wants to take us into the whole picture of life. And as he comes to speak about now devotional service and its rarity, that one out of millions of these unlimited jivas in the material world, through so many different species of life, insignificant in size, and so forth and so on, comes to pure devotional service, which is a position from which that tiny, infinitesimal, insignificant Jīva can conquer the infinite. So rare, such a high thing, such potential it has. As he comes now to that topic directly, he says here, let me describe to you the symptoms of Śrīdhu Bhakti by which one develops prem. So Krishna's Kaviraj Goswami writing Chaitanya Charitamrita, of course, puts words in Chaitanya Mahāprabhu's mouth it's not a literal biography, but he takes a literary license and rather than that being some kind of a defect that he's making up what Chetani Mahaprabhu said, we understand that he would really understand what Chetani Mahaprabhu was about. So he quotes a verse now that you may be familiar with, and if you're not, you should be. Anyabilashita <laughs> shunyam, Gyan Karmadi Anabritam Anukulyena Krishnanu Shilanam Bhakti Uttama. This of course is the seed verse of the whole of Bhakti Rasamita Sindhu. It comes in the first wave of the eastern division of that seminal book of Rupa Goswami. I think it must be the eleventh verse there. Rupa Goswami wrote it. The idea for it, the conception for it came from Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Under the tutelage of Mahabrabhu here at Dasash Promethegaad in Prayag, Rupa Goswami received this idea and he manifested it in the form of this seed verse from which the whole book, the Bhakti Rasa uh, expands. So here, taking somewhat of a literary license, Krishnadas Kaviraj Goswami says, Chaitanya Mahabrabhu said this to Rupa Goswami. So we say he said it through the pen of Krishnadas Kaviraj Goswami. Viraj Goswami is not making something up about Chaitanya Mahaprabhu but we study Chaitanya and we come to the conclusion that he understood the makeup of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and how did he do so? How could he understand him? Through Rupa Goswami through Rupa Goswami's writing through Sanadun Goswami's writing through the notes of Swarup Damodar Raghunathas Goswami you know, and the predecessor devotees that came before him who were in the immediate sangha of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So, again, an important principle is, is to be drawn from this. What is that? We will understand the Lord through His devotees in the most comprehensive way. We like to sidestep the devotees to understand the Lord, and we end up with nothing a false understanding, a shallow understanding. A substantial understanding of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, a substantial understanding of Radha Krishna, will be gained by examining the heart. Of their devotees. That heart, as I've many times said, corresponds with that appearance of the Lord. So the Lord is nowhere more than in the heart of His Shuddhavakta. So Krishna's Kavadrasa Goswami, in a very authorized way, has spoken about Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. He says, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu said this, he thought that, he's drawn all this. See how well he studied the works of the Goswamis. How well he studied he at like the Sindhū, for example, we get a glimpse of that here, and we should study it. The import is very closely. These books were written for that purpose. As much as we have the intellectual capacity, we should exercise it in relation to all these teachings given by our acharyas, all these books that have been written. It is to help us exercise our intellect spiritually so that we can arrive at a conceptual orientation that mandates the practical activity of bhakti. It mandates it and it clarifies, makes clear what it means to engage in bhakti. What are the ramifications? What are the implications? What is involved? What is the goal? so on and so forth. All this is very important to us. That's what we're involved in. We have some intelligence. We should use it to understand, be introspective, and to study and understand what it is that we are involved in. It's a big topic. Prabhupada made it simple. Ntanandaprabhu made it simple. That means to get everybody on board, so to speak. But once we get on board, then we want to make sure that we don't fall off also. And so to hang on tight, sometimes it can be a bumpy ride when we try to cross the ocean of material emotions. The Baba Sindhu, we want to cross that ocean, not the Baba Sindhu, but the Baba Sindhu. We want to enter the Baba Sindhu, Rasa Sindhu, but we have to cross the Baba Sindhu, that world of the mind, ups and downs of the waves of material emotions. So they come to unsettle the boat on its course, to cross such an ocean and come to the other side. So, to steady ourselves on that boat, all this has been given. If we can't read, we can't study, then hear, listen, that's even more effective. Hear from sadhus, don't miss the class. That is the idea. So, he says, The whole of Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, as I say, expands from this verse. Here we find the swarup Lakshan and the tatastalakshan of bhakti, bhakti as described. Swarup lakshan means the principal symptoms or characteristics of, we call uttambhakti, bhakti, same thing. And the, the tatastalakshan means the marginal characteristics of that shuddhavakti, bhakti. The marginal characteristics are those that describe it in a sense in a negative way what it's not rather than discussing things that it inherently is that which it inherently is that is the sruplakshan of uttambhakti that which it is not are the marginal characteristics so we should understand both of these things these are the marginal characteristics Anukulena krishna anush bhakti uttama. This is the Swarup of bhakti. So let us talk about the positive aspects, the, that which is inherent in Uttam Bhakti first, although it comes second in the verse. So, what is bhakti? He says Anukulena krishna. One thing about bhakti, when we speak about bhakti, sometimes we render the word devotion. But that is a very minimal, limited definition of bhakti. Because in our English language, well, we can have devotion for so many things. But when our charges are speaking about bhakti, as mentioned here, it is anukulena Krishna. Krishna, the word Krishna is used. So Krishna means Krishna principally, and of course, all of his avatars as well. That is which is directed towards Krishna in a favorable attitude without any hostility and in an ongoing way like a growing thing, like a living thing, like a culture. We have a yogurt culture, it's alive. That is called uttam Bhakti. Anukul means Favorable, so it means that which is pleasing. But if we say that bhakti is that which is pleasing to Krishna, then the definition will not be complete. Because some things, for example, in Krishna Lila we find sometimes the demons, they give pleasure to Krishna. When the demons come, they present an opportunity for Krishna to experience Virarasa, like heroic rasa, amongst his friends in the forest. If some demon comes, he gets to show his prowess, tighten his belt and flex his muscles amongst them and rise to the occasion of the challenge. So it may present some opportunity for him that is pleasing. At the same time, the attitude of the demons is not one that is favorable, it's hardly are they considered bhaktas, although they may do something that's pleasing to Krishna. On the other end of the spectrum, we find devotees like, the classic example is given of Mother yashoda Mother Yashoda she is found to be chasing Krishna and tying him up, chastising him, and he's crying. So she doesn't appear to be pleasing Krishna, but she is an Bhakta. The demons seem to be giving pleasure to Krishna. He's taking relish in it. Mother Yasoda is causing him to cry. She's a devotee. What she's doing is devotion. What they're doing is not. So in consideration of this, our charges have defined the word rather than as pleasing that which is favorable or more so without any trace of hostility towards the Lord. The demons have some hostility towards the Lord, although they may be pleasing him. Mother Yashoda has no hostility, although she apparently may be displeasing him. The fact of the matter is, she is pleasing him because her motive is one of of love. So, not only, therefore, is this bhakti not an activity that has no hostility, because if we say no hostility, then, well, <laughs> a lot of things have no hostility, apparently, towards... Krishna. Therefore, anukulena Krishna anushilanam. word is given, which means an ongoing culture. So it indicates something positive. So that positive culture, that favorable sentiment of love of mother Yasoda, that is the idea of bhakti. So anukulena Krishna anushilanam. Anu that Krishna anushilanam. That means uh, Prabhupada translated Krishna consciousness. Krishna Anushilanam, the ongoing culture of activities in devotion that are favorable without hostility, motivated by love for Krishna. So these are what Rupa Goswami, of course, these kind of activities, what Rupa Goswami has described in Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu. So the verb uh, Anushilanam is said at the root of any verb in Sanskrit, or maybe in any language then, it indicates activity, and along with every activity, we have what—a feeling. So there's a feeling that goes with every activity that we perform. So anushyiladham—that Krishna anushyiladham—that is anu-kul-yena. When Rupa Goswami uses this word, then he plays this out in bhakti-rasamrita-sindhu by describing what all of the activities of sadhana bhakti. We call sadhana rupa karya means activities within the realm of sadhana. And when we do sadhana-bhakti, what do we derive from that? What is the fruit of sadhana-bhakti, the goal of sadhana-bhakti? Bhava-bhakti. So in bhava-bhakti there are also some activities. In sadhana-bhakti the activities are given by Rupa Goswami. He gives ten things. Things that are favorable, first he mentions, ten. pravritti and nivṛtti. means the don't-do's. So he names, for example, you take shelter of the bona fide guru first thing. guru Vashaya. Diksha Shikshadi, you take initiation, you take shelter. The implication being you hear from him, then you take initiation, then you hear more from him, Shiksha. Then Bishwrambena Guru Seva, you serve him affectionately, and the sadhus in the Guru Varga as well, all these things are described. And these things aren't directly about Krishna, but there's no question of getting Krishna without having the shelter. The well, Guru is representative, of himself, so all these things are included within Bhakti. After he describes those in Sadhana rupa those activities in Sadhana Bhakti, that are Krishnanushilanam, he describes the negative things that you don't do. All the seva there nam aparad, dhama parad, everything. You see how this word is carrying so much import? This verse comes in the first wave of the Eastern Division of Bhakti-rasamrita-sindhu, which describes the generic character of bhakti. The second wave is then what? What is the second wave of the Eastern Division of Bhakti-rasamrita-sindhu? What do you do to get to bhava? Sadhana. Sadhana Sadhana-bhakti, bhav bhakti prema-bhakti. So the first wave is generic description of the nature of bhakti, then, description of sadhana bhakti. So, this Anushilanam, Krishna Anushilanam, is describing the sadhana bhakti, and sadhana bhakti means two types of sadhana bhakti Vaidi bhakti, rag bhakti. Then we have Pancharatrik Marg, Bhagwat Marg, inside of this Anushilanam. Two types of sadhana. And these types of sadhana lead to bhav, two types of bhav, bhav in awe and reverence. And bhava without, the bhava of prajadham, the ideal of the godi of vaishnavas. So, in bhava, then after Rupa Goswami describes sadhana bhakti, these two divisions, vaidi bhakti, raga bhakti, what is the next wave of the eastern division of bhakti dasamrita sindhu? bhava bhakti. So, in bhava bhakti, there are also some activities. The activities of bhava bhakti are all the angas of vaidi bhakti performed with bhav relative to one's bhava. If your bhav is vaidi bhav for vaidi bhaktas, then all those angas apply. If you are cultivating rag bhakti, then most of them will apply, but some of them may not. Like branding yourself with symbols of Vishnu, that won't be good for rag bhakti. Living in Dwarka, things are mentioned, a few things. The principal angas or limbs of Bhaiti Bhakti that are relevant to Rag Bhakti are Shravanam, Kirtanam, Krishna smaranam, hearing, chanting, remembering. The other things are there also, Archanam, Mandanam, so forth. But these are the three main ones. But so many angas of Bhakti are given by Rupa Goswami, and for the most part, they'll all be in place. The difference between the Rag Sadhanam, and sadhana is motivation. So at any rate, each of these has their own bhav, as I mentioned. Now it's important for us to note, I believe, that because these are complicated topics, that our sampradaya is a ragmarg sampradaya, so this is our interest. We want this Vrindavan bhakti. And so we are involved in the ragmark, but only a little bit, only proportionate to the degree of our Interest and feeling for that, our lobha, is very insignificant. But we have some, otherwise, why are we interested in Krishna? Who wants to go to Vaikuntha? We want to go to Vrindavan. So that is our interest, but interest is not very much. A little interest in our heart and a fair amount of interest from an intellectual point of view, because we've read things about it, it makes sense logically, it's it's an ideal that we're attracted to. Scripture speaks (coughs) about it in a way that we can relate to, versus which we can identify with, and so on. So our motivation in rāg-bhakti is very limited in terms of the flame, the fire of love that it, it is really about. Therefore, our bhakti, our rāg-bhakti is ajata without any ruchi, without any taste. In the language, in the writing of Vinod Thakur, he's called it vaidhi-bhakti. Bhaktivinoda says you practice Vaidi Bhakti, you will get the jewel of Rag Bhakti. So you have to understand carefully what he's saying. Not just vaidhi Bhakti in and of itself, but as much as our interest in Marg is motivated by scriptural injunctions, logic, fear, duty, prospect. It's not rag proper. It's more closely related really to vaidhi Bhakti. Because they're just a hint of interest in that high ideal, then we can generously speak about it in the language of Jiva Goswami called ajata Ruchi, Raghunuga-bhakti. Because Raghunuga-bhakti must be based on some ruchi, some taste. So, we are just beginning stage, side point. Main point here is that within Anu-Shilanam, anu there are activities in the realm of sadhana and there are activities in the realm of Bhav that is the result of sadhana bhakti. What are the activities in bhav-bhakti? As I mentioned, all the angas of Vaidi bhakti but performed with bhav, with feeling. Now we do them mechanically, maybe because we're supposed to do them, or we're afraid out of fear we do them, because if we don't, someone will chastise us, or we may fall down, or whatever may be the case. So this is not rag. We're not getting up spontaneously and running to the Mongol Arctic. Maybe if we do, then it's a good beginning. We're getting some success. But in Bhav Bhakti, other than the activities, the Angas of Radhi Bhakti that we perform with Bhav, with feeling, with spiritual sentiment, well, we also manifest Anubhav and Bhav. Anubhav means when Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was dancing. That dancing, his raising of his hands, these are anubhavs. An anubhav is a manifestation of bhav, an expression of bhav with the body, visible, relative to each flavor of bhakti rasa in a lila, in a full-developed state. Then there are anubhavs relative to Sakiras, relative to bhav, And these movements, if you will, that are anubhavs, they are the movements of this land of bhakti rasa relative to our charge, charja of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and our participation in all that he has taught by his example, Kirtan rasa, for example, then this is Anubhav. Anubhav may have some calculation in it. Let me raise my hands. Hare Krishna. Let me dance with feeling. Sattvika on the other hand, which is also an external manifestation, that's without calculation. Tears come hairs stand on end, cannot check it, it's trembling. We can check, perhaps, but it comes spontaneously, without the thought, ah, let me dance, let me sing, oh, I feel like this. This is a, some subtle kind of difference. So Satvika bhavs are eightfold, these are all described. You can see, and on these verses, as I say, playing out whole bhakti-raslamakta-sindhu. The second wave of Eastern division is the sadhana bhakti, then bhava bhakti, then Prem bhakti. And what do we have in the Southern Division, which comes next in Bhakti-rasa-mrita-sindhu? sindhu is the subject matter of the Southern Division of the Bhakti-rasa-mrita-sindhu, of Bhakti-rasa? All of the, not Bhav only, but all the constituents of Bhakti-rasa, two of which we are just describing, Satvika-bhavs, Anubhavs, what are the others? Vyabhichari-bhav. He said one, Vibhav, Vibhav, vibhav Anubhav, Satvika Bhav, Sanchari Bhav, sometimes called Bhav, and the main one stayibhav. <laughs> Stai bhav, So this is the subject matter of the southern ocean. Comes in these waves. Vibhav is divided into Ashraya Lambana, Vibhav, and Udipani Vibhav. These are the impetuses. For rasa, things that seeing or witnessing give rise to the heightened emotion of rasa. Seeing Krishna's flute, tucked in his belt. And all this, of relative to one's particular taste in bhakti rasa, different things will be the, the vibhav. Otherwise, that's udipunya vibhav. The general vibhav, Lamana vibhav, is Krishna, the object of bhakti rasa. And lamana vibhav is the devotee. Who embodies that particular bhava or rasa? That is our ideal. You no know, rasa, you have to have these two things because it's a reciprocal deal. So there's the devotee and there's the Lord. For example, the Lord's the object of love; the devotee is the vessel of that love. So all these things are described: the Anubhavs, and as I say, the Satvika Bhavs, then Vibhuti Bhav, and stai Bhav. This takes through the southern division. We come into the western division, then each of the stai-bhavs in bhakti-rasa meets when that stai is combined with these other ingredients, other type of bhavs that are the ingredients of bhakti-rasa, then the emotion rises to what we call rasa. And so there's shantaras, Dasiras, sakiras, rasa, and So These are the divisions of the western division. The final northern division is the uh, secondary Rasas, there's seven of them, and mixed rasas, and rasabhas is all described there. So all this is coming out, really, of this verse. As I mentioned, the verb krishnanushilan, like every verb, indicates activity and a feeling, a sentiment behind it. So there are activities in sadhana bhakti, there are activities in bhava bhakti, and then there are the sentiments, the bhava itself, the sentiment. So within this verb, that we find also then room for Rupa Goswami's explanation of all these bhavas. And particularly in, in bhava bhakti, the sentiment, sentiment is an internal thing. So what will be described then? The stai bhav and the vyabhichari bhav, These explanations of the dominant sentiment and the transient sentiments that come and go. In love, you know, we have two sides to love. We have the positive side and the other side. In love you feel great, and in love sometimes you feel very despondent, very bad. So that stai that means uh, feeling good, but, but it's augmented then by transient bhavs and as much as they come and they go, and they take some precedence for a certain time, and augment the stai So the sanchari Bhav or brebha Bhav is often that despondency in love. So all these things are explained within krishna and played out. Bhakti, Rasamrita, and Sindhu. Therefore, all those chapters are there. So, anu this culture, and then he describes that culture, without mentioning to you, as a culture that's ongoing, it never ends, it's favorable, without any hostility, and it's directed towards Krishna. Krishna, anu This is the sarup lakshan of Uttambhakti. And what is the the tasta of Uttambhakti? He says, anyabhi shunyam. first. It is devoid of any other motivation other than the kind of motivation that's been described in the primary characteristics of uttam bhakti, favorable, out of love, this kind of thing, only for Krishna's pleasure. So that uttam bhakti is anyabhi lashita, It's devoid of any other whimsical type of desire. I'm doing it for this reason or for that reason. Someone may be going through the motions, but what is their motivation? What is behind it? Real bhakti must be for the pleasure of Krishna, not anything else. Now, sometimes we may find that a devotee, even a great devotee, finds himself suddenly in an awkward situation and prays for Krishna. Oh, Krishna, please help me. Ordinarily, In Uttambhakti, this will not be found. We're not asking Krishna to do any service to us. We're only wanting to do service to Krishna. So then we may think, oh, he's got some separate interest. But Rupa Goswami says, Anyabilashita. So this suffix, ta, to Anyabilash, indicates that inherently, he has no other interest. But by force of circumstance, something may happen, and he may act a little differently and say, Oh, Krishna, oh my God, Krishna, please protect me, something like that. And that is not a transgression. Inherently, he only wants to do for Krishna's pleasure. But if by force of circumstance, something happens suddenly, and he says like that, that doesn't mean that he has some other interest than giving service to Krishna, like taking service from Krishna. See what a high ideal is, this is. Bhakti. This is anyabilashita-sunyam. It's devoid of any anyabilash and Gyan karmadi it is not covered by jnana and karma. Karma means what? Karma means fruit of activity. That I will do bhakti because I want to attain something materially. Or if I think that by doing bhakti and therefore not doing something that's mandated in the karma marg and dharma shastra, there'll be a problem then your bhakti is not anabrita, uncovered by karma. If You think that, oh, something will be missing, because I'm doing bhakti, but I'm not doing this. Then, no. Ruba Goswami says, don't do like that. Bhakti-maharg, that is superior to the dharma-maharg. If you have sraddha to take bhakti, don't be concerned about that. For us, this is, of course, uh, we don't know so many things. What is the dharma that... There should karmas that should be done occasionally, what are the dharmas like that nitya what should be done shouldn't be done. It means also that if, if a devotee does something in a worldly sense, but without any interest in that. Say for example your mother dies, so you go and you attend the funeral, then that's outside of the realm of bhakti. But you are not interested, you don't think oh, if I I should go, I have to go for this, for... Uh, well, in India, it would be the shradha ceremony, for example. You have to perform the Shraddha for your parents, if your parents die. And if you don't, what kind of a son are you? It's all in, in Karma Marg, of course. So if he attends that, but doesn't think that if I don't, there'll be a problem, if I do, it'll be good for me. But just relative to circumstance, then that doesn't affect his bhakti. We have to do some karma, and as much as karma means activity, some activity. And we have to have some knowledge also. Knowledge is required to do anything. So when he says Gyan Karmaniganabritham means not covered by karma. Not that karma gets the upper hand over Bhakti. Not that Gyan gets the upper hand over Bhakti. When karma and Gyan, they're like two tributaries coming from the glacier, coming down the Himalayas. If they connect with the Ganga. They have life. They can make it to the Bay of Bengal and to the ocean, which is the desire of every river. If they don't connect with the Ganga, they just drain off at a certain point. So if karma and jnana connects with bhakti in a way that they don't suppress bhakti, take precedence over bhakti, because again, bhakti involves anushinam, so there's some activity, there's some karma in that sense. And karma involves some knowledge. If you want to do something, you have to know how to do it. So gyan and karma have their place, they're harmonized when they're seen understood to be subservient to bhakti. So there's much knowledge that we are interested in. We're interested in the knowledge of who Krishna is, the different avatars of Krishna, what is the nature of the jiva, what is the relationship between the jiva and Krishna and the world, this kind of knowledge is of interest to us. We call that some gyan in the general sense. We we want to cultivate that. That will give us the conceptual orientation that mandates bhakti and enables us to carry out our bhakti, engaging bhakti appropriately, based on, as I say, a proper conceptual orientation. So when it says gyan kamadi and abritan, we should understand it properly. It means with regard to karma explain with with regard to gan, we are not doing bhakti to get mukti, to get moksha. To become one with Brahman, or or anything like that, we are doing bhakti why, for its own sake. That's why. This way, Tana Mahaprabhu has described to Rupa Goswami. What is uttam bhakti? Supporting verses are there. What will Mahaprabhu say next? He says, "Aniyavancha, puja chadi, jnankarma, anukulye Sabandriya, Krishna nushilana." So, other desires, puja chadi. Giving up other desires, giving up other kinds of worship. What does other kinds of worship mean? Now, oh, worshipping Indra and Chandra and Ganesh and this one and that demigod and only Krishna. As I said, it's Krishnanushilanam. This is bhakti. So anyo puja chadi gyan karma. I'm explaining the verse. Giving up, transcending the paths of karma and gyan. Anukulye sabendriye. Krishna and Krishna. So, everybody uses a nice word, savendri. All of your means body, your mind, your words, fully engaged in Krishna service. And then he says, <laughs> He says, these activities, this is called Bhakti, And, <laughs> By doing this, you get Prem. In the literature, for example, where we get the Diksha mantras and all the procedures and so forth, Shuddha Bhakti is described there. And Bhagavate, Elakshankai. In the Bhagavat literature, what is the Bhagavat literature? Simad Bhagavat, is the principal Bhagavat literature, talking about the Rag Bhakti. This is the Sastiktak, stress, these two sides, Panchatrik Mag and Bhagavat Marg, combining in such a way that one can ultimately tread the Bhagavat Marg. So these scriptures, these two sides of the, of the literature, they describe the symptoms, Mahbhu says, of Uttam bhakti. So he quotes now a verse from the Pancharatra, famous verse of Narada. What is the verse? vishikhe, vishikhenarishikesha, sevanam, you should know this first. He's going to give you all the praman shlokes that Rupa Goswami cites in Bhakti to Sindhu to support his contention as to what are the symptoms of the characteristics I should say, the symptoms of uttam Bhakti. So Narat Now it says uh, Sarvopadi. Vinirmuktam. So again, Annabilashitashundam, it means all Upadis, material designations, freed from that. Sarvopadi, Vinirmuktam. Tatparatvena, Tat Tat means free from all material designations, with a desire to serve the Lord. Tatparatvena nirmalam. Nirmal means pure, uncontaminated. That means by empiric philosophical thing from gan, ganmarg, karma marg, rishikena, rishikesha, bhakti bhaktiruta. So again, sarvendriya. Who said, Sarendriye Krishna Nushilanam? Rishikesh, Rishikena. Rishikesh isha, uh, rishik means the senses. Rishikena, Vishikesha. So, with all of your senses, means the working senses and the knowledge acquiring sense, all of this, the whole being engaged in the service of Rishikesh, the master of the senses. This is Krishna. He's the master of the sense in the full sense, therefore, Pushpavanaya. Dīmahi, we meditated on him with his Govindaji. This is Bhakti. puspa Dīmahi. He has the five arrows. He shoots them. All of our five senses are captivated by them, engaged in his service, rather than taking us in a worldly direct. puspa This is Govindadev. This is Abhidheya. Sabindriya, Vishikesha Vishikena Seva, Bhakti Ruttama Madguna Shutimatena Mahisava Kuhashayi, Munogati Avichina Jatagangam Vasho Buddha. Kabrivadev speaks another Praman verse. So we have to stop there. A few more Praman shlokas. We'll discuss this further tomorrow. Uh, Are there any questions? Yeah, two angas of. Say that, one should accept the that means you don't think that anyone else's protection, but you're not under anyone else's protection. You consider yourself, you're always under Krishna's protection. You don't think of anybody else will protect me. Nobody else is taking care of me. No one is maintaining me other than Krishna. No one is protecting me other than Krishna. We don't ask Krishna for our maintenance please Krishna give me food, please Krishna protect me, but we don't think anybody else is, we don't ask anybody else for that. Good question. So main point here, many points, but main point to you I'd like to make is so you try, all of you, to use your good intelligence to study these scriptures very carefully. That will be very useful for you. That's what these books are written for. Don't be lazy. You have to engage your intelligence in Krishna's service also, not just your body, not just you keep busy, but according to your intellectual capacity, we all have some exercise. That's why Prabhupada wrote, what did he used to say, 60 books. They're not meant for sitting on the shelf. This will help you very much by studying all these points and just see how much can be taken. And we just spoken a little bit in brief from one verse. Rupa Goswami has given a whole bhakti to Hindu, This should be studied at some length but given only summary study to bhaktaristan the and most devotees don't even read that summary study. They don't even know the summary study. What to speak of the whole book? So we stop there.